We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roadwire DFS podcast. It is week 14 of the NFL season. Took me a minute to figure that out. Thursday, December 6th, Derek Van Riper here with John McKechnie, Scott Jenstead, traveling the world this week uh, with his day job. So he's extremely busy. So we'll get Scott back into the fold next week. Uh, it's a crazy week because we're, you know, past bye weeks, just was the case a week ago. And we've got 13 games in the main slate. We've got some pretty high over-under totals. We've got one of the league's premier offenses in Kansas City hosting maybe the league's best defense in Baltimore. So some tough matchups to analyze from that perspective as well. Uh, But it creates a lot of interesting lineup wrinkles. And John, as we start our conversation this week, we have another free square player. Like last week... Spencer Ware, because of the Kareem Hunt suspension and release, or it wasn't a suspension, but the uncertainty on Friday, followed by a release later that night, yep. created this major pocket of value where Spencer Ware was way underpriced in a good matchup against the Raiders. He didn't even really go off. He actually kind of underperformed, but he was 70-plus percent owned. He was in 100% owned in some of the contests that we played in that were a bit smaller. Right. This week, it's Jalen Samuels. Jalen Samuels is likely going to lead the Steelers' backfield in touches. Steven Ridley is going to be involved, too. 
But with James Conner out for at least this week and possibly longer, maybe next week we'll see a big price correction. We'll see some kind of correction if he plays well, plays anywhere near the volume as expected. You have this extremely underpriced running back in an offense that's expected to put up 31 points this week based on the implied totals from the over-under and the spread. Do you take the free square with Jalen Samuels in cash and GPPs because of his role as what should be the primary pass catcher and at least getting half of the carries? Or in big field tournaments, do you try to get underweight relative to the field? Do you have a little bit of exposure and try to find pivots that are going to be a little more expensive but much lower owned? Yeah, I think I, I'm going to be more picky and choosy on this when it comes to Samuels. And it's not just you know the by virtue of getting burned by Spencer Ware last week. Like Pretty much all of my lineups last week were Lindsay, Philip Lindsay and Spencer Ware. And that, that was basically my backfield. Didn't really have to think about it the rest of the way. Jalen Samuels, interesting guy, interesting player, uh, super unique profile background, You know, being a 5'10", 5'11", guy that played some a lot of tight end at NC State, um, but also played some running back as well. So he's got a really well-rounded skill set that's going to you know be easy to plug and play uh, into this offense. And obviously, with it uh, being against a Raiders team that you know is you know racing to the bottom right now, uh, this sets up extremely well in terms of the matchup. Are the Raiders a worse defense necessarily than say uh, what the Bengals uh, were bringing to the table against like Philip Lindsay last week, or uh, you know the Raiders? able to do pretty decent against Spencer Ware in their own right. I guess the bottom line for me, Samuels, the price will make me get some exposure to him, but I'm not going 100% with him because I think that there is a chance that the Steelers get far enough ahead. Um, and if J- James Conner's injury is a multi-week thing, maybe they just give some burn to Stephen Ridley just to help uh, wear down the clock at a certain point. I'm expecting a, a 60-40 carry split that favors Samuels, but then all of the passing down opportunities going his way. So in cash games... At 3700 on DraftKings and 4600 on FanDuel, it's an easy lock it in, just let it happen, make him your flex. It's a late afternoon kick. No reservations there because he's going to get enough touches at that price and a good enough offense where you just do it and move on to the rest of your lineup. But I think it's in tournaments where you want to be a little bit careful. If you're going to build 10 different tournament lineups this week, and in most weeks I'm closer to like three to five different builds, but let's say you're building 10. You know, if you expect him to be 75% owned or something close to that, maybe 80% owned, maybe you put Samuels in three to four lineups as right. opposed to seven to eight. Yeah, I don't think that there's enough there just yet to where you are going it full in 100% because I just don't think that's even with like the implied game script of the Steelers kind of going in there and getting this win relatively easily, relatively comfortably. We've seen the Steelers kind of struggle on the road a little bit, and the Raiders, for as bad as they are, they do still, you know, put up a fight on a given week here. So I do think that, you know, this is a week where Samuels is going to get the work that there is uh, the floor element here, but maybe the ceiling isn't as high as people are expecting. The other really cheap running back primed for more carries, Jeff Wilson in San Francisco, The Niners are a home underdog hosting the Broncos, a Broncos team that lost Emmanuel Sanders during the practice week, lost Chris Harris in last week's game. And, you know, I think this one will be at least close. Even if San Francisco loses at home, I don't think Denver is the kind of team that blows a lot of teams out. That's just not the way their offense is built. Um, Sure, Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman might be able to run all over San Francisco's defense over the course of the game, but... Wilson looks like another guy that if you're looking at Samuels, you're probably at least thinking about Wilson uh, in, in some similar lights. 
What's your scouting report on Jeff Wilson? Because prior to last week, I'd never heard of him. He wasn't on my radar at all. Well, it's amazing that he's you know on on the active roster. I mean, I liked him at, at North Texas. I thought he was a good player, uh, most notably from uh, from the time in the North Texas's bowl game a couple years ago, where he was standing shotgun formation and he just ralphed right before the snap, and <laughs> and the and the center snapped it, and the quarterback was so distracted by Jeff Wilson ralphing next to him that uh, the like it, it got fumbled and went. It was like a whole mess. Literally and figuratively. Yeah, that's bad. It was man. incredible. So that, that's my that's my like biggest Jeff Wilson memory. But he was you know a pretty dynamic, good runner uh, at North Texas here. And I mean, this is a a scheme where you don't need a ton of talent to succeed. I mean, Kyle Shanahan has this thing dialed up in such a way that they'll be able to to find creases and everything. But I guess when you break it down, I might like his his straight up running back talent a little bit more than Samuels is, but Samuels has the far easier matchup this week, in my opinion. I do think that Denver's run defense especially uh, is is tough enough to where, you know, there's going to be 16 to 18 carries for Wilson, but, you know, he might be lucky to do like four yards a carry. But even if we're talking about that 10 lineup scenario, you're building 10 different tournament lineups. If Samuels is in three to four lineups, is Jeff Wilson a pivot for you in one, two? Like, how many times do you go to Wilson in place of Samuels as that possible cheap flex option? And he had eight catches last week for 73 yards on nine targets, 15 carries for 61 yards against Seattle. Denver's not bad against the run, but they're also not like a shutdown run defense to the point where you're looking at them and saying, we can't start good running backs against them or average running backs against them. So. I think there is something here. I mean, the implied total difference between the Steelers and San Francisco, it's almost uh, 11 points this week. So you're definitely dialing back the floor from a a scoring output standpoint. But as far as touches go, it wouldn't surprise me if Jeff Wilson got more touches this week than Jalen Samuels. Yeah. And, and, you know, you bring up the the catches and the targets thing, and that's something that you immediately jump to when you talk about Jalen Samuels and maybe not as much uh, when it comes to Jeff Wilson. So that's kind of an underrated uh, element to his game here for a a totally under the radar player as it is. So I'll probably zag where other people uh, zig. And, you know, I I think that Jeff Wilson might, might end up in more of my lineups this week than the Samuels. I keep thinking about our pentathlon contest where I'm I'm struggling in the DFS leg, which is exactly what you want to hear if you're listening to a podcast about <laughs> DFS. You have a host who's struggling. Again, I've talked about this with Scott over the last few weeks. It's it's a cash game mindset. And the way the contest is structured, I have nothing to lose by being more aggressive now. I can't lose any more points in our standings so I can take crazy shots. I could actually build a lineup with both Samuels and Wilson in that context and then just load up on high price stuff everywhere else and hopefully catch some lightning in a bottle, you know, win the contest this week, make up some ground, grab some standings points, do the same thing these next couple of weeks and maybe finish closer to the middle of the pack instead of at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, if, if Jeff Wilson and Samuels and other stuff just all bust, oh, well, like I, I'm already, having, you're already burnt a little bit. I, so. I'm, I'm already I'm already taking a one in the category out of possible 12 points. So you might as well go down swinging. The other cheap running back uh, is on the other side of the Jalen Samuels-Oakland matchup. It's Jalen Richard, who looks like he's going to get a crack at some more carries here. Definitely has that passing down role locked in. As far as your implied totals go, the Raiders are kind of in the same neighborhood as the Niners in that low 20s. Do you like Jalen Richard as another option if you're pivoting away from Samuels and or Wilson? I don't. I, I see I see the point there, but I just think that... Uh 
that this Raiders backfield versus versus this uh, Steelers run defense, I think, is is enough of a mismatch for me that I mean, even the even if you're getting you know the point or the half point uh, for reception uh, out of Richard, I'm not sure that it ends up being enough to where like he he really hits that value for you. Like I'd be honestly, I'd be surprised if he reaches that that ten uh, points or so uh, type mark. The two receivers that might be considered free squares based on things that have happened over the course of the week. Cortland Sutton, only 4,500 on DraftKings, 5,600 on FanDuel, coming off a TD last week. His target floor goes through the roof. With the unfortunate injury to Sanders, he becomes the number one receiver in Denver. Yeah, it's not a passing game that you get excited about in a vacuum, especially with Sanders, a really efficient version of Sanders this year. The offense as a whole might be less dynamic, but if Cortland Sutton's going to push eight targets per week with ease, He's underpriced right now at forty five and fifty six hundred on the two big sites. Yeah, I think that yeah, the, this price you know you're definitely catching a break uh, this week with him um, and going up against San Francisco. You know, R- Richard Sherman having a good year, um, so that'll be an interesting matchup to watch. Sutton, obviously, like a big uh, physical receiver, so that matches up well uh, when it comes to Richard Sherman. Um, I'm a little bit interested in Deshaun Hamilton, who who kind of fills what Sanders does on the field in terms of slot and kind of your short to intermediate route uh, type of guy, sort of a technician with great hands. Um, He's a rookie out of Penn State, and I'm not totally sure what his price is off the top of my head, but I can't imagine he's much more than uh, minimum uh, salary. He's 4,500 on DraftKings, so I imagine he's around 3,000 on DraftKings as well. Uh, If he steps into that starting role here, he could become that security blanket over the middle. And plus, we've seen the attrition that the Broncos have suffered uh, with their tight ends. So we see uh, just a, a need for someone to fill uh, in terms of that short and intermediate area that, that Case Keenum kind of lives in a lot of the time. So you don't love the red zone upside for Hamilton when he's playing opposite Sutton. But I think in terms of moving the sticks, uh, if they're not going solely to the run game here, which I wouldn't completely blame him for. Hamilton, I think, becomes an interesting piece. Yeah, Hamilton is at the salary floor at the receiver position, I think, on both sides. 3K on DraftKings, 4,500 on FanDuel. Uh, Definitely worth thinking about as a tournament punt option because he would move into that number two receiver role for Denver. All right, so with this main slate, we lose the Jags and Titans, wouldn't say we're really losing them, Bob. Um, it's not even a good single-game slate for Thursday night either. So if you want to sit one out, this would be a good single-game slate This to is the avoid. type of game that people complain about Thursday night games for. This is the type of Thursday night game where if you're a very casual football fan, you're probably catching up on your Netflix queue or something. Yeah, yeah, you're catching that new uh, Escape from Dan and Mora on, uh, on Showtime. Have you started that yet? No. Oh, it's really good. It's about that like, prison break from in New York from a couple years ago. My my list of things I need to watch is really, really long. Like I, I need to retire to actually put a dent in it, <laughs> and I'm not very close to retirement, so... Yeah, I'm nowhere near that. The list, the list is always growing for me too. It, it is like intimidating to think about. It's like, oh, you got to watch this. It's like, well, I have 15 other things I need to watch too. Yeah. So Jags, Titans off the slate. Sunday night, Rams, Bears. So no Gurley on this slate. No Cooks. No Robert Woods. Uh, Vikings, Seahawks on Monday night. Actually, like pretty good Sunday night and Monday night matchups. And as far as like the playoff picture and division races go. Um, so some key players are not available as building blocks, but with 13 games, there's still lots of ways to go around some of these potential free squares that we started about here, started with at the top. Let's just go game by game and kind of talk about some plays we like, some guys we don't. 
Giants Redskins is kind of a weird game. You got Mark Sanchez starting at quarterback for Washington. Uh, Jamison Crowder was back in the lineup for the Redskins on Monday night. The way they're spreading targets around and with Sanchez there, I don't really see a lot to get excited about. You know, Landon Collins is out with that shoulder injury. The Giants have struggled against the run since Damon Harrison was traded to the Lions earlier this season. No Collins, I think, compounds that issue a little bit. Him coming up in the box or not being able to now, that hurts. Yeah, exactly. So I think when I look at, at Washington, if there's anyone you're going to play, it's probably Adrian Peterson. If this game stays close, it's because Washington plays pretty good defense and runs it well with Adrian Peterson. Like that's that's kind of the beginning and the end of the story as far as that offense with the targets being spread out as thin as they've been and with Sanchez being the guy under center. I don't really want any exposure to that passing yeah, game. Yeah, this passing game was already, you know, kind of rough. It had a rough projection post Alex Smith to begin with, um but man, I don't know if you subjected yourself to watching all of the uh, Monday night game between the the Redskins and the Eagles, but it was is laughable that they brought in Sanchez because he knows the system and he knows, you know, he'd be a quick study. He didn't know where he was going with the ball half the time. Like he was completely not on the same page with his pass catchers more often than not. It was just horrible to watch. So I don't expect that to get a whole lot better. I don't expect him to like take advantage of this matchup going against the Giants. Um, so no part of this passing game. Uh, the Redskins better hope to just like force a turnover, get an early lead and just be able to just pound uh, with Adrian Peterson the rest of the way, because otherwise uh, this could be a game that the, the Giants sort of regretfully you know end up winning just by virtue of Sanchez being so bad I was trying to figure out what the connection is with Mark Sanchez and I guess maybe it's that the offensive coordinator Matt Cavanaugh was with the Jets from like 2009 to 2012 the glory days yeah the the glory days some of the Rex Ryan's Jets uh, teams with Mark Sanchez that's that's the connection right so that was laughable to begin with but the familiarity with the offense I mean when when you look as bad as Sanchez did Monday night it just looks like a terrible excuse not to do something that would actually make your team better via free agency on the giant side of this one it's still a very skinny production tree for me it's Barkley and it's Beckham the thing that continues to surprise me with Washington's defense is against the run they've been pretty stout at times 4.2 yards per carry for the season and that's not a ridiculously no num- low number you got a few teams that are keeping the opposition under four yards per attempt but the Redskins have allowed one carry of 20 or more yards through 12 games this season that I don't is- think it matters with Saquon Barkley but it's just one of those things like unless we're talking about an elite talent this is a run defense that I usually try to avoid. Yeah, this this run defense is really tough. Um, but what's it? And sometimes Saquon Barkley can run himself into trouble in the backfield a little bit. He can you know net, t- you know kind of bet on the wrong uh, hole opening up, and he, it closes up, or he tries to do too much before the line of scrimmage gets uh, bottled up. So he goes, yeah, has that like decent percentage of runs that don't go for yardage. But the thing is, he's such an integral part of that passing game that that in the end, even if the Redskins are able to stop him on the ground and hold him to, say, you know, 50, 60 yards uh, rushing, I think he could still go for eight, nine catches and push for triple digits through the air. Uh, so that's that's where Barkley's going to hurt them. And I think that the Redskins linebackers, for as good as they are at stopping the run, I don't know if they're as sideline to sideline savvy enough uh, to slow him that way. So if the Giants are smart, they're going to try to get Barkley out in space in the screen game. Barkley is the second most expensive running back on DraftKings this week behind only Christian McCaffrey on the main slate. 8,900 for Barkley, 9,300 for McCaffrey. As you look at the top of the board, you know, Ezekiel Elliott against the Eagles, 8,600. Elvin Kamara, 8,100 against Tampa Bay. Uh, Melvin Gordon, 
Doesn't look like he's going to play against Cincinnati. If he did at 8,000, I think he'd be maybe the highest owned running back right. out of this top group. How do you navigate Barkley this week when you look at McCaffrey being 400 more expensive, but you look down and see Kamara as an $800 cheaper player on DraftKings? Yeah, I think it, I think it would be either McCaffrey or Kamara. I think McCaffrey, um, we could see the the Panthers try to shield Cam Newton to an extent because I know he's still been kind of battling through a bit of a shoulder. Um, so I think that we could see a more short passes to McCaffrey and then be maybe just a little, little bit more of reliance on him as a rusher. So it, obviously he's expensive on FanDuel at 9,100, but I think he ends up uh, being worth it against Cleveland. Pretty solid defense though. So I think Kamara at 8,300 against Tampa Bay, um, the Saints going to avenge one of their only losses of the season, uh, one that completely screwed me in the uh, survivor leg of the pentathlon. Um, I think that he makes a, a ton of sense uh, this week. He'll, he'll be plenty fresh, uh, you know, with the long week uh, having played uh, last Thursday. So I like him a lot of this elite tier of the guys uh, 8,000 and above. Uh, I probably lean Kamara. How do you feel about Beckham this week going up against Josh Norman a lot? That matchup in the past has been one where Beckham kind of loses his temper and, and gets unnecessarily shut down because he gets frustrated. Do you yep. think this is a week where Beckham can get the best of Norman? Uh, you know, it, it's it's not only him getting the best of him, but does Eli deliver it there properly? And, uh, you know, I'm not totally sure on that. So uh, when it comes to uh, Beckham and DFS, you don't have to break the bank for him. I and mean, he is at 8,000, you know, whereas other guys like, uh, you know, that are dinged up but elite in their own rights, like a Hopkins, Julio Jones, and Michael Thomas all carry questionable tags as of the time that we're recording this. Um, Beckham does, Beckham should be able to perform, you know, I don't think he's going to give up a goose egg necessarily, but um, I think that there are other guys slightly below him that I have a higher projection on for this week. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those weeks where he cruises by with a lower ownership rate, though. So that That's does true. make him pretty dangerous in tournaments. But I think the giant I like most, like most weeks, is Saquon Barkley up near the top of that running back price list. Let's shift the focus to Green Bay, where the Packers in their first game without Mike McCarthy host the Falcons. Falcons got Deion Jones back last week, um, still lost at home to Baltimore. There's some belief that Green Bay is going to come out with the weight of Mike McCarthy lifted off the shoulders of this offense. I want to hear your opinion on this. Well, the idea is that they're going to come out and just smash because they're going to have that emotional high of just not having the dummy head coach doing the same thing over and over again. My argument against that or my reason for not being all in on that would just be Joe Philbin still there. It's not like they had some new up-and-coming offensive coordinator who had some great ideas that was getting shot down by McCarthy. I mean, Philbin was the offensive coordinator for a stretch of like five years where the Packers had a top 10 offense in terms of yards and points back when they won their Super Bowl over the Steelers. But is he running the exact same offense that McCarthy was running? That's the question we don't know about. The only thing that I think could be really different from just a basic decision-making standpoint is Jamal Williams versus Aaron Jones. How much of that was McCarthy? How much of that was Philbin? We don't really know. I mean, in McCarthy's exit game last week, Williams had his highest share of the snaps that he's had at any point since Aaron Jones came back from his suspension earlier this season. Like, that's the dumbest way to get fired. Like, you give a guy that gets more than five yards of carry 
and you choose not to give him carries in a close game. Yeah, in lieu of Jamal Williams, of all people, like, you know, someone that it's not like they're, they're beholden to, but with like a ton of money or anything. So, yeah, that, yeah, we'll see if, if Philbin uh, presses the easy button on that one and just deploys Jones more. But um, I think in general, the, the Packers, I do like them to like cover the spread this week and everything because I think the Falcons are pretty terrible um, on the road. And I think that they have some problems along their offensive line that, that is going to get Matt Ryan in trouble. Um, but I, I think that. Basically, what I'm saying is that Atlanta's not going to score very much, but I don't think that necessarily McCarthy's departure means that the or signals the beginning of a takeoff as far as this Packers offense goes. I still think if you're going to do it, you can put a stack together where so much of their offense is going to be concentrated on Rodgers, Aaron Jones, and Devontae Adams. Like Graham with the broken thumb, Marquez Veldez Scantling's been inconsistent, Randall Cobb just doesn't look like a, a big difference maker. Uh, Equinemia St. Brown had a drop last week. If, if looks could kill, Aaron Rodgers actually murdered Equinemia St. Brown. <laughs> he didn't really look at him. He, he just, the look on his face, though, with the frustration of the drop was was pretty impressive. I I like the idea in tournaments of being kind of hyper-aggressive with Rodgers and Adams in a lineup with Jones, but I think Jones comes in with a really high ownership rate again, maybe a little lower than last week because the price has gone up. But he's still going to be 25-plus percent owned, I think, because Atlanta's run defense, even with Deion Jones back, is still not going to be very good. It might not be the complete sieve that it was for several weeks, but it's still going to be below average, and I think Jones can do a lot of damage in that matchup. Yeah, so I do think that that he'll be fine. So it really comes down to those three for me from this Packers offense. I, again, I don't think you can really count on anyone outside of those three uh, either. Um, I, I do think Adams will be able to score at least a touchdown this week. I, I like him a fair bit this week. Um, and Rodgers, you don't have to pay a ton for him. I mean, he's you know like the seventh or eighth most expensive quarterback on DraftKings, checking in at six thousand. So you really don't have to pay a ton for. Him. I mean, Jameis Winston, more expensive than Aaron Rodgers this week in that format. So uh, I think it projects pretty well uh, for Rodgers this week, but I, I'm not expecting th- like this offense to just like come out and just drop 42 on him. Yeah, I, I think it's more of like a 27 to 30 point performance. But again, if it's one or two to Jones and then the other one or two to Devontae Adams and you stack it up that way, that could be a tournament winning combination. And Rodgers' price hasn't really come down to match the drop in production. You're still paying a little bit of a Rodgers tax, which is keeping some people away. True. Um, but ownership should tick up a little bit this week with McCarthy being gone. On the Atlanta side, Julio Jones, if that foot injury proves to be nothing, he's going to eat against the Packers secondary. Jared Alexander is actually a pretty nice young corner. Yeah. But Julio's Julio. Like, Julio's going to get the best of most corners. Eventually, you're just looking at a guy that's going to get you probably... 9, 10 catches, well over 100 yards. Hopefully the usage is there in the red zone. Even if Matt Ryan doesn't play exceedingly well, I think Julio is just fine this week against the Packers. Yeah, Julio will will do what he does every every week, no matter what. Um, but yeah, I, I don't expect like the, a monster game. Didn't he like a few years back in Green Bay have like a, just a 200-yard game? I think he had one of his epic Julio yeah. monster games against Green Bay. Yeah, I do <laughs> recall. A long time ago now, but um, yeah, I, th- I think that Julio's fine. 
but I just I think the rest of that offense is going to suffer, and obviously you can't really count on him for for touchdown production either. So when it, when you when it all boils down to it, and the price you got to pay at you know seventy nine hundred on DraftKings, I'm probably uh, looking elsewhere. I think that this this sets up to be a very low uh, point projection for for the Falcons this week. I think what you're going to have are some really top heavy rosters though this week, where you have. $8,000 plus players in like multiple $8,000 players in a lot of lineups because of the flexibility you get from Samuels and Wilson, right? Jalen Richard to an extent. And then of course, some of the cheap receivers we were talking about at the top, Tevin Coleman's only 4,400. He's had He's about, terrible, though. Uh, about the same point total over the last four games that he had in that week nine explosion on the road in Washington, which was again, like a really unlikely place for him to do that damage. He was getting almost seven yards of carry against that Redskins defense and he had 68 yards and a couple of touchdowns through the air. Like that's that's where he really went crazy exactly. against the Redskins defense. So that that bolsters my Saquon Barkley point earlier from earlier. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I mean Barkley's going to be a headache. Like he is for every team, but the Redskins are not going to have an answer in the screen game for Saquon Barkley. Let's move over to the Saints and Bucks. 55 and a half is the over under for this game. That is the highest on the board by about four points as of right now, as of mid Thursday afternoon. The Bucks are an eight point underdog at home to a Saints team that looked awful against Dallas. And, and to, to Dallas's credit, their defense really played well. Oh, they took the hammer to him in that matchup last week. The Saints should bounce back, even though Tampa Bay's defense isn't quite as bad as it was to begin the season. It's still a well below average unit. Uh, I think this game will be as advertised, very high scoring, but I think it's actually a little bit closer than that line would suggest. Yeah, I mean, eight points is a lot for for a home uh, underdog, so I'm kind of with you there. Um, and th- I mean, this this Bucks team just they know how to go ahead and get themselves down by a ton of points and then claw their way back in kind of ridiculous second half fashion. So yeah, they'll, they'll probably make the, the Saints sweat a little bit later on in the game, but I, I think that the Saints are going to face very little resistance in terms of finding the end zone. If Michael Thomas is fully right, uh, then you know that, that connection with him and Breeze is going to be money. Um, and then I, again, like I was saying earlier, I really do like Kamara a ton as far as those elite running backs uh, go this week. Uh, beyond that, it's been a little bit tough to predict how things are going to go in that Saints passing game. So I probably won't venture those risks. I think that there are other guys that are priced similar to, similarly to your Traquan Smith types um, that you can go and, and have a better feeling about uh, than him necessarily. Um, so kind of like what you're saying earlier um, about the Giants usage tree, I think a, a similar thing applies here uh, with the Saints a little bit here uh, with Thomas and Kamara being the front run or the headliners here and everyone else being a little bit uh, kind of you're throwing a dart at, at that point. Yeah, the Kamara price really on both sites, 8,100 on DraftKings, 8,300 on FanDuel. That's going to drive up that ownership rate in this matchup because people are going to go after that shootout narrative. It makes sense to do it. Mike Evans is priced down a little bit this week. When he slides into that mid-7,000 range, especially on DraftKings, that's when I get really excited to have Mike Evans on my teams. It's 7,700 on FanDuel as well, so he's going to be popular on both sites. He went off in their first meeting. It's probably going to be closer to like 20% ownership because of all that cash flexibility everyone's going to have, but this could be really good chalk, even though you could see a good bit of Marshawn Lattimore Evans caught all seven of his targets in their first meeting this season, 147 yards and a touchdown, 
has that 25 to 30 point upside in his range. And when he falls to that price, John, that's when you want to be in. No, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that's a good call. I think, you know, at, at this price and then again with the history that he has against the Saints secondary that uh, not quite as shut down as it was a year ago. So I think that Evans is a guy that, that can get the better um, of this uh, Saints secondary. Um, I do want to know your opinion on where the usage goes outside of Evans for this week. I mean, are you a uh, Godwin guy? Are you a Adam Humphreys guy? Or Cameron Braid? Uh, where else does it go from here this week? I think you can be somewhat into both Godwin and Humphreys as long as Deshaun Jackson is out of the picture and even if Jackson's healthy it just seems like they're kind of done with him yeah and Cameron Brait is a shell of what OJ Howard is as an offensive player so outside of the occasional red zone target from Winston I don't think he's going to get that much this is a team that leans about 60 40 pass to run with that the pie is big enough for three players to produce so it's just a matter of choosing your spots and I think more people are going to be interested in saving money and going after one of Godwin. I think Godwin's going to be more popular than Humphreys this week. One of Godwin or Humphreys than paying up for Evans in particular. And that's why Evans isn't going to be bananas ownership at like 30 plus percent. That's sure. why I think it's going to be closer to 15. And that's why I think Evans is actually still viable in tournaments this week because the Saints give up a ton of points to opposing wide receivers. Yeah, there you go. So I think I think you just summed it up uh, perfectly as far as how, how to approach uh, this group of uh, Tampa Bay pass catchers the the always forgotten guy in the Saints offense Mark Ingram could be a decent week for him if, if scoring is crazy high the game stays close um, but he's still just more of a tournament play because things fluctuate with him quite a bit from week to week yep. let's uh let's move on to the next game let's talk Ravens Chiefs a game that you as a Ravens fan are going to be very interested in and a game that really the entire fantasy community is going to be uh, watching closely because you have this pretty high over under total 51 and a half you get the Chiefs favored by six and a half at home a lot of money backing the Chiefs right now a lot of doubters as far as the Ravens offense goes and whether or not they're gonna be able to keep pace with Kansas City but do you see the Ravens having enough quality on the defensive side of the ball to simply slow down the Chiefs offense and to just lower the bar of what they have to do as an offense to keep up you know, I I really don't. I think that this is a defense that uh, you know, as as well as it played uh, last week. Um, I think there is a lot of Matt Ryan just taking too long to get rid of the ball, and that that kind of played into the the Ravens with the really high uh, pressure rate. Um, but I think last week something that that maybe we're we're seeing the beginning of a trend of is the loss of Kareem Hunt's targets it might start going to Kelsey. And I think that uh, that's really, really significant uh, in, in this week where the Baltimore secondary, as good as Marlon Humphrey and Jimmy Smith can be on the outside, uh, the the Baltimore safeties are aging or injured or both. Uh, I'm not sure what Tony Jefferson's status is for this week, but I didn't think he was a great cover guy to begin with. And Weddle, to me, has lost a step or two over this past year. So if Kelsey's getting matched up on those guys, he's going to eat uh, just unbelievable amounts. Like I think that he is a guy that I'm going to be trying to get 100% uh, ownership of this week. I really do think that he's going to put up number, numbers similar to what he was able to last week. I think the, the target fallout from Hunt benefits him again and then uh, the matchup itself uh, lends itself to uh, Mahomes attacking that that uh, middle third of this of the uh, defense and there you go with, with Kelsey as far as predicting what the field's going to do I can't say with any confidence that I have a good sense of what most people are going to do with Mahomes this week I think where still being cheap is going to pull a good amount of ownership even in a tough matchup 
And then Mahomes and Tyreek Hill might be lower owned than they should be in this spot because of what the Ravens have accomplished to this point. But Tyreek Hill is such a unique matchup for any corner. Right. You, you can't grab him. You can't gem at the line because if he gets behind you, it's over. Like, yeah. And Mahomes can extend the play long enough, even against good pass rushes, where he moves the pocket, chucks it 40 yards downfield, and Tyreek Hill's in the end zone three seconds later. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, you know, there's there's really no defense you can play on 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 Hill specifically. You just got to hope that you're able to get home uh, on a Patrick Mahomes uh, to to slow that down. And you can also you know you see Tyreek Hill get used on jet sweeps and motion all the time. So there's going to be times where Kansas City's able to create a matchup with like him against a Tavon Young who's uh, kind of undersized and and not uh, you know the physical uh, freak that that Tyreek Hill is. So that that could be a huge problem for Baltimore as well. So I think Hill. Um, if people do buy into the whole, you know, idea of, of Kansas City maybe uh, running into a bit of a tough challenge this week, Tyreek Hill's ownership probably does take a dip, especially when you see some of the other receivers in that price range. So I think there's room for profit there in a, in a tournament uh, type setting. But overall, uh, it's really, really uh, big time uh, Kelsey for me this week. That's the biggest uh, chief I'm going after. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. He is just a matchup nightmare, and you might be right. He might be catching those extra targets with Hunt out of the picture in Kansas City. Uh, as the Ravens offense goes, we're in, what, week four now of Lamar Jackson getting chances to right. start? How do you go about using Jackson this week? Do you think he has to throw more just to keep pace? And with that, do you think he becomes a more interesting tournament play at 5,700 on DraftKings and 7,500 over on FanDuel? Uh, the the way that you know I've seen him played to this point, the more he has to throw, the more trouble he's going to be in. So Baltimore better hope that it keeps this game close in the early going, so that Baltimore can get its run game uh, rolling with with Jackson and Gus Edwards, and, and now uh, a Kenneth Dixon or, or a Ty Montgomery, however they want to split that up. Um, but I think the more that Jackson has to throw it, uh, this is it. This is you know this is a second road game. But last week, I mean the the crowd was so lethargic in Atlanta, it didn't really. Didn't didn't feel like there was any sort of home field advantage. Whereas this is Arrowhead. This is a you know number one seed in the AFC uh, type team that he's going against, and the Chiefs are actually a lot more vulnerable against the run in general. So I think it would behoove uh, the Ravens to use Jackson a little bit more as a runner. Uh, I'm not saying the 26 or whatever times that that uh, they ran him against the Bengals is the right play, um, but I think if you push that rushing total from 15 to 18 carries for Jackson, I think that's a good starting point. Um, and then if if he is running that much he's probably making big plays so at 5700 on DraftKings and cheap on FanDuel as well then you know he's he's worth a look in tournaments there are other uh, young quarterbacks that I that I like a little bit more I do you know we'll get into this game a little bit later but I I think I might uh, take Baker Mayfield in a coin flip if I'm going between him and Jackson here because I think Jackson could run into some mistakes here this week yeah Carolina's defense seems to be eroding here in the last few weeks as well yep Uh, Gus Edwards, I mean, going up against the run defense, it's given up five yards per carry, 5.1 to be exact. It looks like another favorable spot for him. And that Baltimore game plan is probably going to be built on Jackson and Edwards running the ball a ton, keeping the clock running and just minimizing the amount of plays that Kansas City gets to run on offense. Like that's got to be part of the design 
for John Harbaugh this week. Oh, it absolutely is. And, uh, you know, as much as Marty Morningwood hates to uh, have to stick to the run to that degree, uh, he's kind of had to, uh, you know, take his medicine uh, since uh, Lamar has taken over. So I think this does set up for another, you know, 18-plus carry uh, game for Gus Edwards in, his, in a spot where the Chiefs really do give up a ton of yards on the ground. I think it's easy to just look past all the Baltimore pass catchers don't, right yeah, don't now. Even bother. Target quality has been too low. Low prices, but it's it's bad. It's it's a bad discount. It's like a really ugly shirt being eighty percent off. It's yeah. still an ugly shirt. Yeah, it, I mean, like basically, if you really wanted to, you know, throw something out there, uh, it would be Crabtree or Mark Andrews. Other than that, I mean, the, uh, him or Lamar Jackson and John Brown have literally no chemistry. It seems like um, Jackson missed him on a on a potential touchdown last week, and Willie Sneed, uh, you know, eight targets in Jackson's first start. Uh, I think like zero and one targets respectively since then. So he's kind of uh, has fallen off as well. Uh, he does seem to have a, a connection with Andrews a little bit, and Crabtree, uh, the best red zone uh, receiver that Baltimore has outside of Mark Andrews, in my opinion. So those would be the two, but really. Don't do it unless you absolutely have to. Those are huge field tournament darts if you're going to take a chance like that. In most situations, the overwhelming majority of situations, there are way better things you can do with your lineup than using those Baltimore pass catchers. Panthers on the road in Cleveland. They're a two-point favorite. Browns, they fell behind and and kind of made it a little bit interesting. There was a, a potential long, actually two potential long Antonio Callaway touchdowns. One called back by penalty, one given away with a fumble last week so the Browns are showing some signs of life you know Baker Mayfield figuring some things out Carolina's in this terrible skid right now they've struggled on the road this year too I think they're one in five now Mm. uh, away from Charlotte what do you think about this game do you think it goes back and forth I mean you got Cam kind of banged up with that shoulder injury a lot of their their offense is just built on the short intermediate passing game letting guys like McCaffrey like DJ Moore and like Curtis Samuel do a lot after the catch, and, mm-hmm. and they can be really effective like that. But do you see this game kind of being a, a sneaky shootout type, or do you see both defenses playing well enough to kind of keep it closer to that 47 total? I think that the question really is how well does um, Cleveland's defense play, because I do feel confident that Cleveland's going to be able to move the ball uh, pretty well uh, against this Carolina defense, especially um, through the air on them because uh, the Panthers, I believe they're 28th against the pass in terms of DVOA. Uh, so, you know, bottom five uh, pass defense. And I think people will move a little bit off of Baker given the three interceptions that, that he had last week. But you got to give him a break because he's a rookie that was on the road against a uh, Texans team that I, I don't think is getting quite enough credit right now for how hot uh, they've gotten over the last eight or nine weeks. They're, they are just uh, absolutely on a roll right now. So I think uh, we flip this back to Cleveland. We flip it to Baker being in a home setting against a team that, like you mentioned, really does struggle on the road. I think ba- Baker Mayfield would be my tournament quarterback uh, this week with with all of that uh, in mind. Nick Chubb last week was under 1% owned on DraftKings in the $10 big field tournament. And he only put up 16 DraftKings points, so it was sound logic to stay away. But this game script is a lot better. You don't look at them as being a team that's going to fall as far behind. He said at least three targets in each of the last three games. So even if they do, it seems like the Browns are opening up to the idea that Chubb can be a part of the passing game. I actually like this as a, a bounce back week for Nick Chubb as far as your tournament plays are concerned. I can see that. Um, I think that, you know, he's a guy that, uh, 
any given play, he can really, uh, you know, go the distance. Uh, if, if, you know, we get a situation where Luke Keekley's on the other side of the field or something, then, then I think that this sets up really well uh, for Nick Chubb on a given play. So um, I do like him a fair bit, and I think that he, he will continue to be overlooked again this week. I don't know if he's going to be 0.1% owned or anything like that again, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, under 10%, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I was thinking close to maybe even five, possibly, for Chubb. So again, a tournament play that people largely won't be on, but the setup here... Looks like it's pretty good. Carolina's not bad against the run. It just looks like a week where Nick Chubb could get 20-plus touches with relative ease. When you give him 20 shots, he's probably going to break off at least one long run, probably going to find the end zone, uh, and might even catch more passes than you expect. Mm -hmm. Uh, David Njoku's kind of interesting in in tournaments, too, if you're thinking about Brown's pass catchers. He's been hobbled by that knee injury. Uh, I'm not using him in cash games. The target floor seems to be lower now than it was when Baker Mayfield first took over that starting job but right. don't forget about david and joku if you're looking for a, a tournament tight end option as well let's talk about the texans you brought them up a moment ago uh their matchup against cleveland last week another win for houston they're nine and three nine and one now in their last 10 like they've won nine straight and they're hosting the colts coming off a, a shutout loss on the road in jacksonville the colts like to play up tempo which i think is great for houston even if they have a lead they might run more plays than usual and if Houston's running more plays than usual, that means really good things for Deshaun Watson. Exactly, and and you know, and then doubly so for for a guy like uh, DeAndre Hopkins this week against a, a Indianapolis defense that I don't think is anything special, uh, especially on the back end there. So I think this sets up pretty well as far as that uh, Houston uh, passing game is concerned. Uh, Indianapolis checking in with the twenty first rated uh, pass defense in terms of DVOA. So yeah, with, when it comes to uh, Watson and when it comes to Hopkins this week, uh, there's plenty to like there. Um, what are your thoughts on Indianapolis though? Because I, I would imagine that after like people are going to be scared off of this offense after last week, plus this being another road game against a tough division opponent that, like you said, is streaking right now. There's some tournament appeal in, in this spot. I wrote up Andrew Luck last week as kind of a contrarian GPP play on DraftKings, and that wasn't good. I mean, yeah, it was contrarian, but it was bad contrarian <laughs> because it didn't pay off. Going into Houston, the Texans have been sharp against the run. 3.7 yards per carry allowed. Only six rushing TDs. Only three runs of 20-plus yards. So kind of like Washington, like even better than you might think as far as stifling opposing teams' running games. But Mack is priced down this week. He's 4600 on DraftKings, 6500 on FanDuel. I think he's kind of a sneaky tournament play if that line holds up, if the Colts keep it close, or even if they find a way to win this game. Because this is their season. They're at 6-6 six and six right now. They kind of fall into that last wild card mess where they would need to win out and get help if they fall to six and seven. If they can pull within two games of Houston by winning, that kind of opens some doors for them. So I think this is a bounce back opportunity. I think it's going to be a really good game both ways. So this could be a good game to stack, especially if you think that game can reach that 49 and a half total. And again, the Colts tend to run a lot of plays that opens up offense really on both sides. So like the idea of having Watson, uh, I'm not opposed to using luck, but I'd be more inclined to throw like a cheap Marlon Mack GPP dart and then have a uh, Hopkins Deshaun Watson combo around that, like kind of thinking, hey, maybe the Colts get up early. They're running the ball well, even though it's a tough matchup and Houston has to throw even more than usual. And that opens up this this big ceiling 
for Hopkins and Deshaun Watson. Yeah, it absolutely does. And we, we know what, what they can do given, uh, you know, increased opportunities there. Um, but say Indianapolis is running uh, that, that ton of plays uh, there, even though uh, Indianapolis was shut out last week. T.Y. Hilton did see 13 targets, and that was the second week in a row in which he's seen double-digit targets. He's seen nine or more targets in three straight weeks. Um, so he's cheap this week, and I think enough people might still be scared of of using or just kind of not know how to approach this Indianapolis offense. And I think that there's room uh, for profit if you if you go after Hilton, especially on DraftKings, where it's a PPR. Yeah, their first meeting was the game that Hilton got hurt back in week four, went over 100 yards, had four catches, only four targets. But I would expect, like you said, if, as long as he's healthy, he's got a shoulder injury that slowed him down in practice this week. It's going to be a heavy volume week for T.Y. Hilton going up what has been a, a good Houston pass defense as well. I mean, Houston doesn't have a lot of glaring weaknesses. Nope. And it's just it comes down to how much you trust Indy's offense if you're going to pick your spots in this game. But if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do something kind of different. I think more people are going to go after Hilton in tournaments. Marlon Mack's going to be kind of a forgotten player. I'd like to throw that dart as like part of a big field, but you know, a three dollar tournament entry where I'm just trying to do something really unique. That's one path I would strongly consider. If any of our listeners out there are were banging the gavel a few weeks ago when Philly was really struggling and Indianapolis's offense was soaring, it's like it's all Frank Reich. Then you have to use Indianapolis this week. You you can't back off of your Frank Reich is a genius uh, theory just because of one week. Exactly. Let's go to Miami, where the Dolphins are going to host the Patriots. Seven and a half point home underdogs. The Dolphins have, have played. New England well at home on a few occasions in recent years. I just can't talk myself into that happening here. And I don't know what Adam Gase actually is as a head coach. I don't know if he's a a good coach with a terrible roster, if he's a mediocre coach with a terrible roster, or if he's a bad coach with a terrible roster. He's 500 now that he's like 44 games into his time with the Dolphins. They're probably going to finish 8-8, eight and eight, so we're not going to get a clear answer. He's probably going to keep his job. And we're going to have to go through another season in 2019 to try to figure out what exactly they are. Is Tannehill the quarterback of the future? Questions that we're asking in like 2025. Right. It's going to, it's going to go on forever. I, I don't think there's a player on DraftKings in the Miami offense above 5,000. I think even, even Tannehill's under 5K. <laughs> so if you buy into the Dolphins as being able to keep it close, to be able to win outright, you got to invest in the Dolphins. I'm not doing that. I don't believe in them. I actually think New England's going to cover on the road, even though that's a big number. Because every time we start to write off the Patriots, that's when everything starts to click. Yep, They're very healthy on the offensive side of the ball right now. Gronk might be the one exception, and even he's playing right now. With Gronk playing again, Josh Gordon's target volume has come down. I think eight total targets the last two weeks. Mm. So he's become a little more TD dependent. Rex Burkhead's back out there, which kind of scares people away from James White. And the matchup you normally want to pick on with Miami is with running backs. So this is not really a great spot fantasy-wise to dive in with the New England offense because they can spread it around a lot. But I think they just got too many weapons for the Dolphins to slow them down right now. And I think this is a week where New England starts to look like a normal Patriots offense, even on the road. Yeah, this this is a this is definitely a situation where it's like I, I wish we had our, our resident Patriots whisperer Joe Pizapia on with us because he he could always read the tea leaves and figure out which which uh, Patriot was going to go off in a given week. Uh, I have a tougher time reading that. Uh, and then on the on the flip side, uh, when it comes to Miami, there, there's just really little to no appeal pretty much across the board. I know that New England's defense isn't really anything special, um, but this Miami team. 
yeah like it's just you know it's like watching paint dry except for that one game that they had against the bears which was still wild brock osweiler just you know weirdest game of the season but albert wilson after the catch winning people (laughs) money i mean winning someone a million dollars it will be one of the strangest things that's ever happened in fantasy football (laughs) yes 100 percent. boy what a day that was but um yeah i think as far as this week goes um i will probably have very little dfs exposure to this game to be completely honest the player i like the most across both sites is julian edelman on fanduel at 6900 logic here being that josh gordon plays a lot on the outside Xavier Howard probably matches up on Gordon. Mm-hmm. Edelman works underneath. He ends up getting that usual high volume role, more favorable coverages for Edelman. He's the guy that I'd be, be would be building around out of this New England offense. But again, even though I think they're going to cover, I think it's going to be with one of those ultra balanced Patriots team efforts that frustrates a lot of season long owners as the uh, fantasy playoffs get underway in week 14. Uh, running it back on the Dolphins side, if you said pick one random dolphin to to do something crazy, I guess it'd be Devonte Parker, but that I don't have a lot of confidence in him because Adam Gaze's interest in Devonte Parker seems to fluctuate a lot from week to week. And the, I mean the the Dow of Devonte Parker is the second you're interested is the is like the week that he goes with no catches and no targets. Yeah, it's just the way that works. Let's get to the Jets Bills over under in this one is a very Thursday color rush Jags Titans esque 38 and a half. <laughs> the Bills are three and a half point favorites at home. Josh Allen well on his way to a per game rushing title this season. Um, it, it's kind of crazy what he's been doing as a runner. I mean, did you see this level of running contributions coming from Josh Allen? I mean, he could move a lot and he, he was clearly athletic, but I didn't think that it makes sense, I guess, in the end, because if he he's not refined enough as a passer yet. Yes, he has like the cannon arm, but I guess they've kind of instilled in him. If it's not there, just run. And he's, he is whatever that lesson is. He's completely taken it and, and Forrest Gump or something. It's kind of seems that way. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, he's, he's huge and athletic guy. So, uh, probably not easy once he gets to the second level to, to bring down. That's like an unwelcome sight. That's probably part of the, you know, the things that, you know, kind of ridiculous on, on its surface when people were saying like he could be a Cam Newton type, but I mean, he's built not too dissimilarly from Cam Newton. So yeah, he can move around a little bit. What the heck's going on with Zay Jones? If you throw out that Week 12 game against Jacksonville, which you can't just throw games out, but for the purposes of this conversation, we're going to do it anyway. He's had 20 targets in his other two out of the last three. Three touchdowns, so two 20-plus point games on DraftKings. Kelvin Benjamin, gone, which you know Kelvin Benjamin doesn't really change anything for Zay Jones because they were both on the field constantly together anyway. Is this a late season breakout happening for Zay Jones? I know a lot of people liked him last year as a rookie and it just it went horribly wrong. But are you starting to buy into what you've seen from him in two of these last three games? Yes. I mean, it does become a bit of a process of elimination with with what else uh, the Bills have. Is Jones really the only one with a pulse that seems to be uh, playing hard? Uh, It kind of seems to be that way. So when 
when it comes down to it, no, the Bills aren't going to be throwing a ton of passes, but you got to figure that the share of the pie that, that he's getting is much greater than pretty much anybody else's. Uh, guys like Robert Foster are, are like interesting, like Devi prospecty type guys, but like Zay Jones seems to be kind of putting it together against all odds. I mean, I kind of wrote him off after last year and, and with the offseason uh, that he had, but yeah, he's starting to come on strong a little bit here. And uh, yeah, he was a really productive uh, receiver with great hands at East Carolina. So going up against uh, this Jets team uh, this week, I think that their arrow is trending upwards. Am I going to approach him in, in DFS? Not totally sure yet, but I think that he's at least uh, worth some consideration. And, and like, if you are going for a super low-owned wide receiver one this week, then he would probably be it. Yeah, I mean, tournaments only still, even with like high volumes that if you were getting that for a few more weeks, he'd creep into the, the cash game conversation, provided the price stays low. Uh, the Jets have had a lot of problems with injuries in their secondary, so you kind of wonder if maybe the Bills can get something going through the air. In their last meeting, LaShawn McCoy went nuts. He's had a lot of volume the last couple of games. He hasn't done much with it. I'm not going back to the McCoy well. I'm just going to let other people take that chance if they yep. want to. Um, so if I had to play a Bill, it'd be Zay Jones, and it'd be in tournaments only on DraftKings. Uh, as far as the Jets go, woof. Like, yeah, just don't. <laughs> I, I see nothing. I see nothing that I want to do going into Buffalo in a game that's projected to be so low scoring. Yeah, it's it's just it's so bad. It's I don't know if you're a Jets fan what you can be excited about in the future. Let's go to the Sorry. Denver San Francisco matchup. Mentioned earlier, Denver a four point road favorite. Uh, San Francisco has been pretty good against the run this season. Ruben Foster, of course, out of the picture now, uh, so maybe that changes some things about the run defense. Philip Lindsay, cheap last week and highly owned last week, but he paid off in a huge way going up against Cincinnati. Uh, he was about 27% owned in that aforementioned $10 DraftKings tournament. Price ticks up to 6300 on DraftKings, 7900 on FanDuel. So I think on FanDuel, Lindsay's going to be somewhat low owned. I think people are just going to pay up for an elite running back who doesn't have to share some of his workload. It seems like Vance Joseph and the Broncos are talking about getting Lindsey even more involved in their offense, though. And with that Emmanuel Sanders injury, mm -hmm. totally possible they just shift even like a more run heavy sort of ground game. Yeah, we could see that, and we could see you know again the the short uh, passing game uh, maybe switch from like the what Sanders was doing to maybe a little bit more of what Lindsey can do out of the backfield as a pass catcher. So that yeah, the arrow definitely trending up uh, in that sense too. So. Uh, this isn't an explosive Denver offense. We know that. We established it. But uh, on the road, um, I think that this is one where they they are going to get the ground game going via Lindsey. I think he's kind of the engine of this offense at this point, uh, as wild as that is. You know, even coming, in, coming back to week one is like, this can't keep up. And, you know, here we are in week 14 talking about him uh, in the same breath of, as an Alvin Kamara in terms of uh, his price on FanDuel. It's just been it's been a pretty ridiculous ride. And, and again, like you said, uh, this San Francisco run defense, not all that imposing. And we broke down Jeff Wilson at the top. He's very playable uh, as you're looking for cheap flex options. Again, it's going to come with a high ownership rate, but lots of touches, a heavy involvement in the passing game last week. Once Matt Breida left does make him appealing at a low price, very cheap on DraftKings, a little more expensive on FanDuel by comparison, but still definitely playable if you're looking for a Jalen Samuels pivot or something um, just really cheap to plug in for your second running back or flex spot. Cortland Sutton in line for more targets. He's definitely on the radar. Maybe cash game viable, but definitely more of a, a chalky tournament play that you got to be kind of careful with. you got to have differentiation elsewhere if you're going to throw Sutton into your tournament lineups mm -hmm. this week. 
Let's go to the Bengals. What about Dante and, Pettis, though? Oh, you want to talk about Dante Pettis? Just for a second. Do you believe in Nick Mullins enough to throw Dante Pettis in your lineups? I mean, you know, I wouldn't have believed in him coming into last week either, but, you know, five catches on seven targets for a buck 29 and two scores. You know, that's his second week in a row with at least seven targets. Uh, going up against the Denver defense that, like you mentioned, uh, no Chris Harris, uh, obviously no Aqib Tlaib after his departure uh, last season. So maybe uh, Denver's secondary can be got in one way or another. And I think, you know, uh, obviously George Kittle is awesome, but I think Pettis, 5,500, uh, with the recent target volume, things are trending in the right direction for him, and he can he can make plays, and he's got great open field vision. You know, he's a, a record-setting punt returner uh, from his college days, so maybe maybe he's worth uh, some some shares of as well. If you want a player priced like Cortland Sutton, who could get a similar workload and do it with a fraction of the ownership, Dante Pettis is that guy. Hey, there you but go. There's a very wide range of outcomes with him. So oh, yeah. yeah, definitely tournaments only. Uh, if you're going to think about Dante Pettis, the Bengals go on the road to play the Chargers. This could be a total bloodbath. Uh, talking to Chris Liss on the XM show throughout the week, when he set this line, he had the Chargers favored by 20 and a half. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so to see the Chargers at minus 14, he thought, well, I'm all over the Chargers actually covering that two touchdown difference. Jeff Driscoll starting at quarterback again. A.J. Green's out. Joe Mixon's banged Our up. Pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> everything is going wrong for the Bengals right now are you looking at this game as one where you kind of have to avoid the Bengals because they're just not going to be able to do anything especially with Bosa being back and the Chargers defense looking really good and if you look at this game and expect to be the Chargers winning easily are you taking your shots mostly with Austin Eckler and or Justin Jackson I think I think that Getting the right parts of this Chargers offense is going to be one of the biggest keys of this slate. And I do think that even with the implication that the Chargers are going to run away with this one, I think the Chargers are maybe a little bit in get Phillip Rivers in that MVP convo mode Hmm. a little bit after last week. So I don't necessarily see them taking their foot off the gas and just going to Eckler and Jackson only um, once uh, the lead is established there. So I do like Rivers and Keenan Allen. I think that's a totally viable pairing this week. Um, But I do think if if there's the biggest uh, Achilles heel of this Bengals defense, it is uh, with the run. Uh, Their linebackers are absolutely atrocious. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how people approach uh, this this run game uh, for the Chargers because Eckler last week, 13 carries, good, 21 yards, bad. But he also had five catches on eight targets, 22 yards, not not a great yards per target by any means, but certainly uh, five catches is not nothing for a running back. Uh, Jackson, obviously he had the splash play and he's he's lower priced, but I do think that, you know, when it comes down to it, Eckler played 78% of the snaps. So I think if you, if you can like kind of uh, forget what happened last week in terms of the efficiency and go back to, the, you know, the 5.8 yards per carry that he was getting coming into that game, this sets up extremely well for Eckler. Of course, the this all is under the assumption that Gordon sits out this week. I think the Chargers would be smart to do that. There's no point in risking one of your best players against it in a game that you should win. So bottom line, I think Eckler uh, is is a guy that you know kind of burned people last week that I think ends up paying off bigger this week. You almost wonder if Eckler and Jackson both could be really productive. That would be really like, interesting. Like Eckler with 18 touches, Jackson with like nine or something. And there's there's huge plays that keep the volume from getting higher than that or they throw it well early and then just run it with those guys late. But I think the per carrier, per touch numbers that 
any running backs can generate against the Bengals are interesting. And when you put guys in, in a good offense out there against them, uh, it makes it even more interesting. But Eckler's at 6,200 on DK, 6,700 on FanDuel. Coming off last week's disappointment, I wonder how much the ownership rate slides. I, I think it will. I think that there, there really is a sort of recency bias slash everyone, you know, watch that happen as a, as a standalone game. Uh, and they might be like, okay, I mean, Eckler's not, Melvin Gordon's like, well, duh. But if he's getting, you know, 12 plus carries against the Bengals, that's a lot different than, than 12 plus carries against the, the uh, Steelers on the road when they're trying to play catch up. I don't see any compelling reason though, even if you think Driscoll is going to have to throw it 40 times to throw Tyler Boyd into your lineup. No. I think it could just be ugly target volume, a lack of efficiency, a lot of a lot of attention from from Casey Hayward too. That's not what you want if uh, you're you're a Tyler Boyd owner. So over don't, under, don't subject yourself to that. Over under five and a half yards per attempt for Driscoll on Sunday. Under, <sighs> he might get sacked seven times. I mean, the yeah. Chargers defense is going to be wildly popular. I think <laughs> with with really good reason. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's the the pricier defense that people are going to be more inclined to pay up for than, than most of the others. Uh, Steelers go on the road to Oakland, where the Raiders kept it closer than expected last week against the Chiefs. Do you think the same kind of thing could happen? Like, do you think Oakland can find a way to hang around? And a ten and a half point home dog is is pretty rare to see. What do you make of of Oakland right now? I mean, Jordy Nelson had a huge target volume last week. I think he had the same number of targets last week that he had like in the previous four games combined. Yeah, was a- and he's on the field all the time, so it's really weird that he wasn't getting targets before. But nevertheless, like, how do you see this playing out? Do you see Oakland doing enough to force the Steelers to keep actually like trying to throw the ball? Or do you think it's Steelers getting up early with the passing game and then just going into shell mode with either Samuels or Ridley throughout the second half? I think, you know, we, and we've seen it before, we could, we could see a bit of a, a sleepwalk uh, from the Steelers here, you know, being heavy road favorites. They aren't great on the road to begin with. I mean, with their, their game against the Jaguars, they were lucky to make it out of that alive. I mean, that, that took a lot of things uh, falling perfectly into place for them to, to kind of salvage themselves in that one. This one, out in Oakland, much longer trip to get out there, uh, different time zones. Um, I see like the Steelers kind of like being a little bit lethargic and it's a short ish week with them, you know, coming off a tough uh, game night game at home against the Chargers. Um, I don't think that the Raiders are any good at all, but I do think that they play hard enough to keep this one interesting. I think that like the under is in play and I think the Raiders cover is in play. But as far as uh, Raiders options for DFS, maybe like a Marcel Adaman as sort of or Aitman as as a uh, as a complete uh, dart throw. Um, but other than that, uh, on the other side, I do like Antonio Brown uh, in this matchup. But that um, it's not that's not just about it. But I'm not having the highest expectations uh, for the Steelers this week necessarily. Yeah, I wonder with like everyone trying to chase Samuels at the low price, if Brown and Smith Schuster come by with lower than usual ownership rates, and Brown even relative to Smith Schuster because he's more expensive every week, mm-hmm. if he's even lower owned. Than, than by like a large margin. The Steelers are implied to score 31 points in this game. That's the highest on the main slate, or second highest behind the Saints because that spreads eight. But this is a pretty interesting spot, and I almost feel like this game is more of a trap for them if they win against the Chargers than if they if they didn't blow that lead. Uh, fair. You know, I think blowing that lead, like losing a game they easily should have won based on where that game was at at halftime, 
probably wakes them up enough to where they don't sleepwalk. Okay, in that's Oakland. a fair that's a fair counter, yeah. And but again, like it, these games are always tricky because that's a huge number to cover. I think I'm taking the Steelers to actually cover on the road. The money's like split evenly on this, so this is a an interesting sort of debate. Um, and if you if you're fading Samuels going after Antonio Brown at a high price, or even saying, you know what, I'm putting those guys in the same lineup, that might be a combination that a lot of people don't put together. But like you said, there isn't a high implied total for the Steelers offense. They got to get there somehow. Exactly. So I'm not interested in any Raiders, um, but there's there's some potential goodness here if the Steelers get up over 30, as the implied total would suggest. Two more games to look at. Lions on the road, mysteriously three-point favorites going into Arizona. Uh, my takeaway on the XM show was this. These two teams in their current state do not reap any benefits of playing at home. <laughs> like in Detroit, in Arizona, neutral field, it'd be a pick for me anywhere. Yeah. You could put these two teams in any stadium on the planet, <laughs> and I would say it's a pick Yeah. And it's funny to me that the Lions are somehow three-point favorites, and that more money is on the Lions than on the Cardinals. Like I, I think the Cardinals are fine in this game. Uh, if you're looking for a a David Johnson like actual like week fourteen bonanza like if you've survived your season long regular season and you're in the postseason I think you actually feel good about David Johnson this week and I think he's going to be a little bit lost in the shuffle on this slate at what is become a pretty deflated price sixty five hundred on DraftKings seven thousand on FanDuel do you have any reservations about using? David Johnson as a mid-range pivot at that price. No, I, I like him. I think he's getting slept on a little bit too. And you know, this, this is a uh, bottom ten run defense for for the Lions. And we also have a you know the wrinkle of uh, Christian Kirk being out, so that that you know is more touches uh, that can be allotted to David Johnson in the pass game potentially. Um, and you know, maybe the the Cardinals won't need to play uh, catch up uh, here, so they can they can establish the run a little bit more with, with David Johnson this week. So yeah, I think that he's you know a big name player at a discounted price that might get glossed over uh, a little bit this week. So I am interested in him. Uh, really no other Cardinals, though, that that really uh, entice me. I know that, again, uh, the targets are open with that without uh, Christian Kirk. Maybe that bumps up Larry Fitzgerald a little bit more in some people's minds. And, you know, at 6,200, it's a fine play. Obviously, it's, it's kind of like what you would say, a bit of a socks and sandals play. But, you know, here we are. I mean, it, it, you know, it's one way of going about it. And then on the other side, um, Kenny Galladay, third in targets in the NFL over the last since, uh, since dating back to week 10. Uh, he's got 44 targets in that span. Only guys with more are Keenan Allen and Antonio Brown, uh, at least eight targets in each of those games as well. So Galladay, even if he's matched up against Patrick Peterson, um, I think that he, you know, has the uh, type of build and athleticism to still uh, come down with, with plenty of uh, receptions and you know make it happen uh, in his own right too. I was more excited about Galladay last week, even with Talib coming back, than I'm about him this week against Peterson. But I think you make a good point. The volume could be so high, and physically he's so imposing, he can do something with double-digit targets again this week. I just don't think I'm going to have enough lineups to actually get him in. Um, the, the Lions run defense since adding snacks, Damon Harrison to the mix has been better. It's like 4.2 yards per carry since week eight, I think was the first game that he played and he was playing pretty limited snaps initially. So when we look at overall season long performance against them, it can be a little bit misleading, but if you just look at the time since Harrison's been there, they're kind of close to the middle of the pack in terms of what they've allowed to opposing running backs. And I think with Kirk out, especially you're going to get fits with like 12 targets. 
Yep. And you might get David Johnson with like 10 out of the backfield plus 18 carries or so. And I don't see the Lions going in there and blowing out Arizona anyway. So no, the, they're not the, capable of that. The Chase Edmonds two touchdown game from last week, if you were a David Johnson owner who survived to that point and needed to win to get into the playoffs, that was a really harsh outcome. We apologize. But there was, I mean, if, if Johnson scores two touchdowns last week, the conversation about him today is entirely different. Oh, yeah, he's, pre- he's going to this match. He's like a top eight running back, you know, and, and everyone's in on him uh, this week going against the Lions, yeah. Right, so because the team implied total is under 20, I don't know if you want to even think about it in cash, but I think in tournaments, do it. Like, yeah. there's, especially on DraftKings where you get a point for every reception. Uh, as the rest of the Lions go, there's nothing else I want. on Johnson looks like he's probably going to miss this game. If he were to come back, that would change my opinion of like what I expect in this game a lot. I think he'd be able to uh, run really well against Arizona's defense. The Eagles are on the road playing Dallas over-under at 44. Dallas, a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. They won outright in Philadelphia. I kind of started their recent surge where they yes. played really well. And as we talked about last week, since adding Amari Cooper, this has been a completely different offense. Having a true number one receiver has made Dak Prescott more efficient. It's made the offense as a whole more productive. Uh, and Dallas played really well against the Saints. Do you think they can come back off the emotional high with the extra rest and, and pick apart the Eagles secondary? Or do you see this as a really kind of interesting NFC East matchup because you have the Eagles sort of playing to keep their season alive with a, a possible road win against Dallas? The Eagles are, but I think they're getting a little bit too much credit for being a, for beating a Mark Sanchez-led Redskins team at home. <laughs> I think like, people are really, really wanting to believe that this surge is in this Eagles team. I don't see it personally. I think there's something up with this Eagles team. So I'm... I'm still of the opinion that the that the Cowboys will win this game rather comfortably, and I think that the addition of Mar- of Mari Cooper is a huge reason why. I mean, if we look over the last four weeks, uh, he's had at least eight targets in three of those four games, uh, and he's going up against an Eagles secondary that really uh, is vulnerable. And if the pass rush doesn't get home, uh, then they're in deep trouble. And I believe Tyron Smith is going to be back this week uh, for the Cowboys, so that helps that pass protection a fair bit. I do love the Eagles front seven, but I think in terms of what they can do in terms of pass coverage uh, is going to be an issue. I think Cooper has to be uh, the one that you would lock in in a cash type of setting. Uh, if you wanted to get a little bit more risky in the tournament sense, Michael Gallup has been playing really well. I've been really impressed with him uh, this year. So he's someone that I would consider on the other side of that. Um, and then yeah, those are like my main uh, go-tos as far as the Cowboys offense goes. I, I won't roll with Dak for, for DFS purposes. And then um, Zeke, Zeke is great, but I, I just think that this is a tough enough matchup where I'm probably looking elsewhere in terms of those elite running backs. But that might make him a little bit more viable for a tournament sense. Zeke got the Eagles for 151 yeah, yards on the ground, had a couple touchdowns, one rushing, uh, one as a receiver, had seven targets in their last meeting as well. 39.7 DraftKings points. That was in a week where he was down at 7,500. His price is up at 8,600. So you know, you're not getting anything close to the deal you were getting on him four weeks ago. I don't really have a lot of reservations about Zeke. I mean, I think his role is very clear, and I just like that his floor is even higher with that involvement in the passing game being up. Uh, You mentioned Gallup. I think he is probably the most interesting cheap tournament dart in this game. Narrowly was missed for a long touchdown from Dak Prescott. Got open outside. Dak just overthrew him. Uh, Looked pretty good in that Thanksgiving Day game against Washington as well. So I think Michael Gallup is trending up, and I think the presence of Cooper drawing a lot of attention on the other side has just helped him see 
weaker coverage. The Eagles side of this one, if Josh Adams is good to go, back-to-back games with 20 carries, so you expect plenty of work there. He's the kind of guy that disappears in the passing game, so that just kind of makes you a little nervous. Adrian if, Peterson has more like fl- hip flexibility that, than Adams does. Like, man, nobody runs more upright than Josh Adams, and I like Josh Adams. But yeah. Did you? I mean, did you see some of the, like the the attempted cuts he was making on Monday compared to Peterson? It's it's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's really weird. But they they like him as their lead I like runner him too, and he's priced down enough where I think you could do it if you think this game at least stays close, regardless of who you think wins it. I think that Cowboys run defense would be the X factor. Then I think that 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 linebacking core, especially with Van Der Esch and Smith, might be too tough. I think that Adams could get held under four yards of carry this week. That's interesting. Yeah, I think he'll be low owned. If if you're all in on Adams, you're going to get him at a low ownership rate compared to previous weeks. Uh, I'm probably not playing him myself. The player I think I like the most on the Eagles side is Golden Tate. Yes, um, I think the way we're seeing things kind of get shifted around in the Eagles offense. Elshon Jeffrey is drawing most teams top corner. And I think that means he sees Byron Jones a lot this week. Mm-hmm. Jones has been probably the best corner in the league in terms of just one-on-one coverage this season. So you, there's no reason to throw into that matchup. But when you have Tate and Zach Ertz and Nelson Aguilar as your other options, you're fine. Like the Eagles have plenty of weapons. And I think Tate's still priced down a lot. He's 4,800 on DraftKings. I think he'll be popular over there. Uh, but he's had seven, eight, and eight targets now over the last three games. And he finally did a lot with those targets in that win over Washington on Monday night. Yep. Completely speaking my language. Like, uh, yeah, the, the target, you know, he got kind of eased into the offense after the trade. Um, and now we've seen him kind of be fully, uh, immersed in this offense now. And again, uh, Byron Jones, he always lines up, uh, usually like on the right outside, uh, whereas Tate is always in the slot pretty much. I mean, like like 90%, I think, of his snaps or so uh, come out of the slot. So he really won't be seeing any of Byron Jones almost at all. Um, so that this sets up where whoever uh, the, Dow- the Dallas nickel corner is is going to have trouble uh, you know, keeping tabs on, on a guy like Tate. And if he, if he pushes for those seven, eight targets again, I think that there, there's definitely like high uh, reception. Uh, you, you can't really like count on a touchdown out of Golden Tate necessarily, but certainly on DraftKings, given the price, and given the the matchup context here um, where he could be seeing a ton of targets I really really like Golden Tate a lot this week yeah, I mean you look at at like Ertz like he's fine like if you want to use him he's just expensive 6400 on DK just do Kelsey if you're expensive yeah I think the Kelsey angle makes a little more sense this week by comparison um, so yeah Tate's the the guy that I think I like the most value wise in the Eagles offense for this week especially on DraftKings where you get that full point per reception anything else that's uh, crossed your mind here as you've gotten prepared for this week 14 slate john um i guess if if we wanted to touch on on a cheap defense uh one that i would consider would be cleveland at home going against a struggling uh panthers offense but that that's about uh it outside of what we uh hadn't already covered because i feel like we we hit it pretty well today as far as this slate goes yeah i don't hate the cardinals defense at home against the lions either i mean i, 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 think I respect that a lions team that's kind of a mess you get past galladay and bruce ellington's getting a load of targets Legarrette blunt may have to get a lot of carries again if carry on johnson is still out i think they can they can force turnovers. They can get sacks. So again, if you're kind of just saving, saving defense for last like you should, they're going to be on that short list of underpriced defenses that could do some damage. Even the Chiefs at home at 2,300 against the Ravens. I mean, if Jackson has to throw it a lot, yeah, he could turn it over. He runs a lot. He could fumble. I mean, there's 
He has fumbled. There's a lot that can go right for the Chiefs at that price. So I think they'd be on my list of underpriced defenses for week 14 as well. If you like the podcast, take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can find us on Twitter. He's at Johnny McKex. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Good luck in week 14. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire DFS football podcast. We're back with you next week. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.